You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 7. We're going to dive into the Lord's Word this morning. Um, after Bible camp, I went up north to minister at my, my home church in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, it was such a privilege and an honor. Um, right when we got back, I had a number of kind of big meetings on my plate um, that were before me. And I got to that place where I really needed to get before the Lord and hear from him for what he wanted to share for this morning. And it was like, as quick as that, that the Lord downloaded this message to my heart for this morning. So I pray that you're expectant. I pray that you're ready to receive from the Lord this morning because it's not every week the Lord downloads a message to my heart so quickly, but he did that this morning. And so we're going to be on a lot of different places in scripture, but eventually we're going to come to John chapter seven, because um, I want to talk this morning about trusting the timing of the Lord. And I believe the Lord's going to meet you. He's going to meet us collectively as a church family. I believe there's a corporate um, application for this this morning, but he's also going to minister to your heart individually for the things that you're waiting for, for the things that the Lord has promised to your heart that have not yet come to pass. And the Lord's gonna pour out a grace upon you to trust him in the waiting. And that is the essence of this moment in human history in which we live. This is the season of waiting and the Lord is looking for a people that will be found waiting and ready for him expecting. And all summer long I've been pointing us to Matthew 25 and the story that Jesus tells of this current age in which you and I live, this current age where he describes it like a bridegroom that's gone away and he's left his bridal party behind. He said amongst this bridal party, half of them are foolish, half of them are wise. I wanna be amongst the wise ones. What is it that set apart the wise from the foolish? The foolish took for granted his coming. They kind of explained it away. They, they kind of f- uh, were frivolous with their time and, and when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. The wise ones were the ones whose their wicks were trimmed, their their lamps were filled with fuel, with oil, and they were ready. They were ready for his return. So when they heard his call, they were ready. And I want to be amongst those ones that are ready. That's the moment in human history in which I'll just read part of Matthew 25 to you. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. These are the, the foolish descriptions starting off in verse 10. Description of the ones that were foolish. They had to go away and buy more oil for their lamp because they had had run out. They They took it for granted. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. So the wise ones, the ones ready, the ones expectant, the ones prepared, they went in to the marriage feast and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We are called not to live with a sense of anxiety about his um, sudden coming, but with a restful trusting of his character and his goodness that he will stay true to his word, that he is faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he is good, that he's a God that stays true to his promise. That is the the life now that we are called to as followers of Christ, to live at peace and at rest, 
trusting and waiting in the promises of the Lord. And that's in reference most, most relevantly, most um, applicably to his second return, to his, his coming again. He's coming again. We have a king of whom we are awaiting his return. But it is also a descriptor of our life now in this, this kingdom that's here but not yet. And we are given these great and precious promises. promises. There's a, kind of a trifecta of promises that I cling to continually in my life. One is the salvation of souls. I know it's the Lord's will that all come to repentance, that, that none should perish. That is his will. In Luke 15, he lays this out. His heart is longing for the one. He loves the 99, that's us, those that are gathered under his banner, but man, his heart right now in this moment his longing for the one. His heart is for the one. So I know and I pray for the lost. I'm praying in alignment with the will of the Lord. That's a, that's a promise that I cling to. A second is healing. I know that in Calvary, what was unleashed was power from the kingdom of God, from the, the throne room of God for healing. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. I know that was broke open through Calvary. And it's something I, I, anytime, if there's a sickness, if there's an infirmity, had my, my wife last night pray over me in regards to this cold. Lord, I said, Tanya, will you just pray over me that this would be gone? I, I have no problem at any moment praying for, for healing because I know it's a promise given to us in the gospel. And third is revival in the church. I know the Lord's will is for a thriving, revived, alive church in, in him who, who's vibrantly alive and in, in love with him. And so that's what I pray for. I pray for revival. And... Um, and in, 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 this, in this moment in human history, in this dispensation, we are in this place. We're given these promises, but inevitably there will be a time of waiting. We're given the promise, then there's this waiting, and there's, then there's the breakthrough, then there's the fulfillment, then there's the, the, the destination. You can think of it like, like a road trip, like a journey. You can't have a destination without the time that it takes to get there. Otherwise, you're just going to your neighbor's house, right? The essence of a destination, of a road trip, is a journey to get there. And if you sit in a car, just last week we were driving back from Fargo, and inevitably, if you sit in a car with kids, they will ask you that question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we gonna be there, right? And that childishness is in, in any one of us in our journey with the Lord. And we're like, are we there yet, Lord? You gave me that promise. You sparked that dream in my heart. You put a calling upon my life. You've given me this promise for healing. You've given me this promise for the salvation of a prodigal son or a daughter. And, and we're sitting in that waiting and we're saying, Lord, are we there yet? I'm not saying that question is always bad. The question reflects an understanding that the destination matters. Like we're not just wandering around the wilderness. You don't go on a road trip just to wander around the back highways of Iowa, although that's, that can be cool too, but you go on a road trip to get to a destination. And so, you can ask the question, but we need to be careful that in that question that we're not questioning the Lord's timing. We're simply curious and we're clinging to that, that promise, knowing that breakthrough is ours as well. There will be a fulfillment. There will be a destination. Otherwise, we're wandering. Amen? Just so you know and so you don't get overwhelmed this morning, I am going to preach a second part of this. So um, there's a lot I'm going to try to unpack this morning, but... Um, some of this will be put in a pin and we'll come back to in a couple weeks. Because um, there's so much I feel like the Lord has downloaded to my heart in this regard. 
before we get to John 7, let me just point you to one more thing. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3. This is kind of this typical, uh, Peter here in 2 Peter chapter 3 is speaking to kind of that typical impatience that exists in all of us. When we're given the promise of the Lord, we get a glimpse of his redemptive purposes, and then we're found waiting. Then we're found in this period of wondering, are we there yet? When, when are we gonna be there, Lord? When is this breakthrough gonna come? When is the fulfillment gonna come? And he says this, starting in verse eight, Second Peter chapter three, this is gonna be on the screen as well, so you can stay at John seven. But, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow. So don't call him slow, he's not slow. We're on a journey, we're going somewhere. And he's on the fastest track possible. He's not taking the back roads unless we take, you know, we can veer off in that way. You know, there's a, the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. It was supposed to be a 40 day trip and ended up being 40 years. So, so we can, when we take things to our own hands, there can be detours. But if we stay with the Lord, hunched in with him, you know, leaning on him, he's on a, he's on a, a fast track to deliverance, fast track to the breakthrough, fulfillment. He is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some can count slowness, but he's patient toward you. There's a, bigger, there's a bigger plan going on that he is unfolding. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is coming a day of fulfillment. And when it comes, it will be uh, indisputable. It will be um, inarguable in regards to its, its suddenness. He'll come like a thief in the night. And that's actually a pattern repeated. There's like this waiting, but then the breakthrough comes. And there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt in your mind when, when the breakthrough comes. Okay, so like I promised, let's look at John 7. Lord is good. If you're taking notes this morning, you can title this Trusting the Timing of the Lord. Trusting the Timing of the Lord. Let's pray before we read the Lord's word here in John 7. Lord, I pray you give us receptive hearts. I just sense this morning that there is just such a wide uh, array of situations this morning that need your grace. Dreams that have been given for us to steward and we need your grace. Promises that we cling to, scriptural promises that we cling to, that the enemy wants to try to tempt us away from. What attacks at your character. I pray it would all be submitted to your grace, that your word would pour out courage upon souls to like, like kids that just simply believe they would take a hold of your word and grab a hold of it and never let go. Give us a grace to never let go, to never let go, to be found ready and waiting 
In your precious name, pour out your grace. Amen. Okay, let's look at this, John chapter seven. This is later in Jesus' ministry. Things are building, things are crescendoing. People are recognizing his authority and his, the, his reputation is preceding him anywhere he goes. And there's this really interesting interaction here that I just want us to unpack. It says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. So this is still his home region up north in Israel. He would not go, he would not go about in Judea, so the southern part of Israel, where Jerusalem is, where the head honchos are, where the head of religious establishment is, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, this fall festival to celebrate and to remember the Lord's provision in the wilderness and also the fall harvest. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So here, Jesus' brothers, most likely his, his actual four brothers, Matthew and Mark talk about Jesus' brothers, and there can be dispute about um, yeah, who the brothers' parents are, if it's Joseph and Mary, or, or Mary and a, um, another father after Joseph passed. There's all sorts of speculation in church history about that, um, and that's neither here nor, nor there for this purpose. But here, Jesus' brothers begin to question Jesus' timing. They begin to question his timing of the revealing of himself to more people. They recognize his authority, his power, and honestly, with great familiarity because they grew up around him. They had a sense of the significance of Jesus. But I will tell you, it was in a very fleshly sense. And that will be emphatically revealed here in just the next sentence, but their intentions were not the Lord's purposes. They didn't have the Lord's agenda in their mind when they're telling Jesus to go to Judea. They wanna get Jesus, they wanna speed up the process. They're like any of us when we start to get impatient. We're like, hey, let's, let's get this story going. Let's, let's move this along. Like what's this, all this him and ha and up here in Galilee, up in the wilderness. Let's, let's, let's move this along, let's, let's get it going. That's, that's the, the heart of Jesus' brothers here. Which should give us pause for reflection. It should be a sobering, this whole story should be very sobering for us. Because here are ones who are very familiar with Jesus because of their proximity to him. But yet they missed the essence of who he truly was. And they, they, they ver therefore missed the essence of trusting the Lord's timing in those things. So just being in and around Jesus' things is not enough. To then also get his timing right and to understand his character and to understand that he, he is the Lord of time. May that always be known in our hearts. God is not subject to time. He's the creator of time and time is like a tool in his hands. We, we like to think the other way around. That God is somehow slave to this thing we call time, but he is not. He is Lord of all, and that includes time. And Jesus knows this, and that's why his response is so beautiful. So verse five, it says, 
for not even his brothers believed in him. So I said that next sentence so emphatically makes clear that they didn't, they didn't trust the character of Jesus. They didn't believe that he truly was the son of God, which I can't blame them completely. They grew up with him, running around. Like for them, you know, Jesus was just their brother. <laughs> you know, that's what I felt going home to Fargo, North Dakota. Like, we know you, there's nothing special about you. And I come to preach, it's like, you're just true. We know you. Some people, they change my diapers there, so they have to remind me of that, you know, so. In my young years, it wasn't recent, so it was, it was, I, grew, I literally grew up in that church, just running around that church, and so. Um, but the Lord, they, honestly, people were very receptive. They were very responsive, and the Lord moved in beautiful ways. It was awesome. Um, but so it was for Jesus' brothers here. They, they didn't believe in him. They didn't, they didn't see him for who he was. And obviously later we know James and Jude, they come around. Um, James and Jude become part of the, the apostolic voice of, of the church. Um, verse six, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Oh, allow that to cut to your heart. For us, it's always time. Like we receive the promise and we're like, okay, time is, th- this is the time, right? This is perfect time, Lord. Like this, is, this is the time. Do you not know that, Lord? Jesus says, the time has not yet come. We're we're ones who want instant gratification. We want it now. As soon as we receive the dream. Just like Joseph, he receives a dream, he starts spouting out the dream to his brothers. That's us. Like we've received the dream. For us, now is a great time, Lord. But what if the Lord had a grander plan? What if the sovereign one the grand clockmaker himself in all of, it, all of its thousands of gears could work out a better plan. What if the time was not now? He says, my time has not, not yet come. Your time is always here. Verse seven, the world cannot hate you. And here he's, he's speaking to the fact that they don't recognize him as Christ the king. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. He, him there in verse seven, speaking to the fact that he is gonna go and he's gonna be rejected and they're, they're not gonna accept him. They didn't get that reality. They still were not receiving this fact that he was gonna go and die on a cross. Rise from the dead. Verse eight, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And really it says, I am not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. Because he's not going on their terms. Verse nine says, after this, he remained in Galilee. But you'll read in the very next verse and you can do that for yourself. Actually, in a couple weeks, we'll do that. Um, He does go down to the feast in Judea. He does, but it's on his own terms and it's fully submitted to the father. It's not on the terms of his brothers. It's not on the terms of the opinions of people. It's fully submitted to the agenda of the Lord. And so there's a pattern in scripture all grounded in one overarching reality that I want to unpack this morning in regards to our impatience, in regards to our um, need to trust the Lord, for us to get this right as a people, and for us to get it right as individuals, and for us to get it right as a church family. Because we have been given so much, and I believe the Lord is beginning to uh, download to our hearts promises for this house that we need to be able to steward. And part of stewardship is receiving 
the dream, the promise from the Lord, but then be able to wait for it patiently, be able to pray it into fulfillment, pray it into breakthrough, and not to settle for anything less than full breakthrough. Amen? I have dreams of this place being chock full with wines going out the doors. We don't even have enough room for the people because salvation, uh, because so many people are coming uh, to know the Lord. So many people are getting saved because today is the day of salvation. I have dreams of, of people in, in masses being healed in a single gathering. I have dreams of this place being filled Monday through Saturday people seeking the Lord, praying, this truly being a house of prayer, people coming and going, seeking the Lord, that sort of palpable hunger. But in those dreams being given to us, some of those were actual dreams that I received while I was sleeping, so actually little, literal dreams, but when we receive dreams like that, we are then called to then steward those dreams, to then wait patiently, continue to give them back to the dream giver himself, Continue to give them back to him and trust his timing. And to not try to tinker with it, to not try to speed it along, help it along. And also not to abandon it, not to move on to other things. And so, as I promised, there's kind of an overarching theme here in regards to impatience and then our response to our impatience that I wanna unpack. One is, the first thing that impatience does, and this is a scriptural pattern, I'll give one example in a little bit. The first thing that happens when we receive, when, when, when impatience kind of sets in is it begins to attack the character of the Lord. It begins to question the character. So all of this is grounded in an understanding of the perfect, faithful, good character of the Lord. And that's why Jesus' brothers didn't get the timing of the Lord. That's why they wanted to move things along so quickly. It's because they didn't recognize him as Christ. They didn't understand his character. And so by character, I mean his revealed character in scripture, that he is a faithful promise-keeping God. Both the promise giver and the promise keeper, both the dream giver and the dream fulfiller, he is Lord and he's Lord of all. And so when impatience begins to rear its face in any one of us, and this is both a, Sometimes it takes the um, prompting of the enemy. Sometimes it's just within our flesh. First, we begin to sense an attack on the character of the Lord. Second is then an attack on the promises of the Lord. We begin to question not just his character, but maybe we misconstrued his promises. Maybe, maybe we need to begin to maneuver around his promises. The promises keep us in this place of discomfort because it's, we've received it, but we're not seeing it with our eyes yet. So it's way easier just to avoid the promise altogether, to just go back to mediocrity and status quo, right? It's way easier that way. We'll just kind of maintain this thing in our flesh. We'll maintain our lives in the flesh. We'll not cling to the promise and be made, made a fool for, for the sake of Christ. So that's the second is it attacks the promise of the Lord. And third, ultimately, it leads to disobedience. So impatience attacks the character of God, then it attacks the promises of God, and thirdly, it leads to disobedience. It leads to an all-out detour from 
the journey of the Lord and where the Lord wants to take us. And obviously scripture is chock full of these sorts of warnings given to us for that very purpose. Given to us as a gift, a teaching gift to charge us to live ready, to live waiting on the Lord. So then how, how, do, we, how do we counter this? How do we, how do we live ready? How do we live waiting on the Lord? How do we live trusting his timing? Well, our counter to these, to impatience, our counter, it's kind of a, um, a mere reflection. It's the opposite. If, it, if impatience attacks the character of God, then we oppose it by basking in the character of God. You do that by immersing yourself in the character of the Lord. You begin to hear that little chirping of impatience. Hey, let's get this, let's get this, let's keep this train moving. Let's keep this journey going. Hey, Let's get this promise fulfilled. Let's see this breakthrough now. You begin to sense that. Bask yourself in the character of the Lord. Remind yourself that he is holy, that he is sovereign, that his plan is bigger than you, that he is the clockmaker, that he is working something out, that he is the father of lights and the one who gives all these perfect and good gifts. Remind yourself of those things. Take a moment, get on your knees before the Lord and look up to him and bask yourself in the character of the Lord. Amen, do you receive that? Second then is similar. You know, if, if, we're, if we're sensing impatience rising up within our flesh, within our soul, we've sensed an attack on the character of God, an attack on the promises of God. We counter that by then basking in, living in the testimonies of God, the testimonies of the Lord, the things that he has done. That is meant to be our diet as the children of God, the things that God has done, that, that we, we stand on this ground that has been established by many breakthroughs that have come before us. And we live in that place. Hopefully you can, you can eat testimonies on a daily basis. Testimonies that you yourself have experienced, but also ones you hear from others. Allow yourself to be built up by those things. Be built up by that holy faith of the things the Lord has done in history. That is your, that is your heritage and it's also your, your responsibility to steward those testimonies. So let us live there basking in testimonies. And third is obedience, simple obedience. If you sense impatience rising up in your soul, just be obedient with the last thing the Lord told you to do. Go back to your journal or, or a confidant or your spouse and, and just say, I'm, I'm feeling disoriented by the, by, the, by the accuser himself or by my flesh. And I'm feeling impatient for the promises to come to be fulfilled. Go back to the first or the last thing the Lord told you to do. Be obedient. That's why prayer is so fundamental to the church. The church always wants to move past prayer. They want to move to other things that are so shiny and, and uh, attractive. But prayer is obedience. Prayer is submitting our hearts to the grand clockmaker himself. Us submitting ourselves in obedience to him. Saying, Lord, have your way. Get, just give us the next step. Just show me the next thing to do. 
That also comes, that also applies to praying for salvation for people and praying for, praying for healing. That's why I, didn't, I never deny a person prayer for healing. So we're given these promises. We have all these testimonies of things the Lord has done. Therefore, simple obedience bids me to pray for the sick every time. And my prayer is the same. It's by his stripes they are healed. Christ unleashed this healing in, in their bodies through, through Calvary. And that's our simple childlike prayer. We always leave the results in the hands of the Lord. They're always in his hands. So it's obedience. The same with salvation. You, you pray for salvation every time. That's simple obedience. You always share your faith. If there seems to be an open door for the gospel, be faithful to share. Be faithful to share the love of God, to share the, the Lord's plan of salvation that he came as the sacrificial lamb on their behalf, that he came to seek and save the lost and, and he's the only answer. You, you share that every time and, and leave the results in the hands of the Lord, amen? So I'll just give you a vivid example. I'll call the worship team so you don't have to keep listening to my raspy voice. Genesis 16, there's a, Such a memorable but vivid picture of this very principle at, at play. And God had given the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. His descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea, or sands of the seashore. And then the waiting. The promise comes, and then there's the waiting. But the fulfillment will come. The promise will be fulfilled. The breakthrough will come. Allow that to encourage your heart. You are not an anomaly. Your story is not unique. God always gives a promise and then there will be a testing and then there will be a waiting. The time period can vary. Maybe it's 40 days. Maybe it's 40 minutes. Maybe it's 40 years. Maybe it's 400 years. The Lord will give a dream, he'll give a promise, there will be a testing, there will be a waiting, and then there will be a fulfillment. So it was for Abraham, and this is a pretty grand one in the whole redemptive story, obviously. He gives this promise to Abraham, and then there's the waiting, and then there's the questioning, and here even Sarai herself begins to question. And it's all revealed, the very pattern I spoke about, questioning the character of God, questioning the promises of God, and then disobedience is all unpacked right here. In verse two, and Sarai said to Abram, behold now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to then to my servant and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. It's all revealed right there. Steps one, two, and three right there unpacked in one, one fell swoop in one verse. Sarai questions the character of God. Maybe it's the Lord actually working against his very own promise. He's the promise giver. He's the dream giver. And yet she had started to twisted things, twist, sorry, twist things around in her mind so much so that she had begun to question the dream giver himself, that maybe he's the one preventing me from having kids. Therefore, what comes next? It's a questioning of the promise. Maybe this whole promise is Maybe I've misconstrued this whole thing, which then leads to the third step, which is outright disobedience, outright rebellion against the whole, this whole plan, this whole redemptive plan. 
And she construes this, this whole other way of bringing about, forcing God's hand, forcing fulfillment, that Abram would have a child with Hagar. The Lord is so good, he's so gracious, he's so generous with all of us, right? He, there, there's, there's grace, but it's not without consequences, it's not without judgment. So Hagar, the servant, does bear a child. And I think it's so beautiful how then the Lord reveals himself even to Hagar. In verse 13, it says, Hagar says, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar, who was cast out by, by Abram, by Sarai, even though she had nothing to do with the whole thing. She was cast out into the wilderness on the run. And there she has an encounter with the Lord and the Lord meets her. And she declares prophetically, the Lord is the Lord that sees She's the one who has the correct understanding of the character of the Lord. I think it's just ironic and so gracious how the Lord works. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward because I want the Lord to minister to our hearts. But That's just one example. But it's the pattern actually throughout scripture and throughout human history. of how oftentimes we spiral away from the promises of God because of impatience. We question the character of the Lord, we question his promises, and then we eventually just completely disobey. And the Lord has something so much better for us, and I have so much faith for us as a church family that we will choose a better way, that we'll be a part of that bridal company that, that chooses this path of wisdom that chooses this path of readiness that says we're going to bask in the character of the Lord. We're going to rest in the character of the Lord. We're going we're gonna to be a people that constantly are testifying of God's goodness and things he has done in the past. And that becomes our diet. That becomes our food. And it's not that we live oblivious to the lack of breakthroughs. We acknowledge them. I, I, in a gut-wrenching way, I had to pray with a man this week, and we're still praying for the breakthrough, pray, on his deathbed, 38-year-old father, two kids, brain cancer. I sat there, tears in my eyes, and he received Christ in a beautiful way as well in that room, but, but the breakthrough didn't come before my eyes. I'm, I'm not gonna ignore the lack of breakthrough, but it's always gonna drive me back to step one, which is basking in the character of the Lord. He is good. He is healer. He is faithful. He is merciful. I know who he is. And then I'm going to bask in the testimonies of God. I'm going to make sure that if I don't see a breakthrough in a moment, that I go and then I feed on the breakthroughs that I have seen. And thirdly, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to be simply obedient with the last thing that I know the Lord told me to do. That means next time around, I'm not gonna base my prayer over somebody who's sick based on the last result. I'm gonna base it on what the Lord told me to do. I'm gonna pray for the sick. That's what I'm gonna do every time. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.